0: Get it in here. Okay. I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. All right. Right. They can't so the, can't big road, the big dogs. Yeah. Stay on the board. It's
1: time.
2: Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis,
3: osmosis. Say
2: what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in.
3: Oh, yes. Middle of the work week, a Wednesday. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. Plenty of football to talk about. Middle of the week. Start looking ahead to week number six of the NFL, college football, and a whole lot more. The guest list today as follows. Trevor Maddich will join us. We'll talk a little college football from the ESPN guru, as I like to say. Trevor will be with us today like he normally is on Wednesdays as well as Fridays when he joins us for our Best Bet segment live at the Westgate. Chris Bazio joins us to talk a little Major League Baseball playoffs, postseason. Oh yeah, we're going to talk some postseason baseball. How about them Astros yesterday, huh? Thank God. Come on, Astros. Pull up a couple more. Oh, Now now you're rooting for the Astros. Yeah, because I get rid of you. Come on, man. Wow. That is so (laughs) insulting. It is. I know. it was looking a little glum yesterday, wasn't it? He said, wait a minute. He might not be going back to Houston for the League Championship Series or the World Series. Might be stuck in Vegas because Seattle might pull this thing off. Man, that was something else. All right. So we'll talk to Boz regarding that Rod Smith will join us the former cornerback Carolina Panther will get the latest from Rod Smith about why the Carolina Panthers decided to fire Matt Rule as their head coach and really talk about what the Panthers are paying Matt Rule to go away that's a story in itself craziness 62 million dollars guaranteed so we'll talk to Rod Smith regarding that all right We'll get you caught up to date also on the latest with Devonte Adams, the Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver. Devonte Adams officially now charged with a misdemeanor assault for shoving a credentialed media member after Monday Night's game in Kansas City. So remember we talked about this yesterday, and, and also well, we talked about it yesterday, and we played back the comments. From Derek Carr as well as Josh McDaniel, and especially Josh McDaniel saying all the company things. Hey, believe in Devontae and you know, we'll we'll see how this thing plays out. But here's the deal: nobody has control over this except one person, and that's Roger Goodell. It's gonna be his decision, he will be judge, jury, executioner, whatever you want to say in this. Now, there are two sides to this, all right, is that some people think, well, hey, it's no big deal, especially if you are a silver and black person, all right, meaning if you're a Raider fan, you're thinking like, come on, man, shoved the guy down, went to the went to the ground, okay, no big deal, all right? other side, especially if you're in Kansas City or Chiefs fan because it happened on your premises, they're you know saying, hey man, this is a big deal, something's got to be done. Then there's the NFL who's kind of in the middle with this situation. What did they do with this situation? Now, this photographer that was shoved to the ground, Ryan Zebley, suffered whiplash, a headache, in a minor concussion from this incident. Now, Zebley was working as part of the Monday Night Football crew as a freelance photographer. So this wasn't one of Kansas City's very own. If it was one of their own, you know, then they would really be throwing a stink. But they are. They, they are throwing a stink right now. Adams is due in court in Kansas City on November the 10th. So just to replay how this thing went down, okay, Devontae Adams was upset because he bobbled a ball that was called a catch and setting the Raiders up for a game-winning field goal. And I do believe, even though they probably still needed to get another maybe seven or eight yards, that they were probably going to get it, barring a turnover or a big-time car sack. But Daniel Carlson was going to be good from anywhere inside 60, maybe even beyond 60. Because we saw what Matthew Wright did for the Chiefs. That Hammenager, who's terrible, could barely make an extra point, connected from 59 yards, going in that same direction, going into the half. So, Adam's upset that the the call was overturned. You saw him talking to the official when they overturned it, and he was like, man, really? Are you serious? Come on, I had possession. He definitely got both feet down. I mean, he did a great toe tap. But the problem was he got the toe tap down before he had possession of the ball, and that w- so the toe tap was great, by Tate. There's no question about that. But then, upon further review, it was definitely a bobble. It wasn't a catch. So he's upset with that. And that was third down in the waning seconds of the game, trying to give the Raiders, you know, position to kick a field goal by Carlson. Then comes fourth down. The next play, and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro run into each other. Why I have no idea. Obviously somebody ran the wrong route and Carr threw a wounded duck of a pass that landed harmlessly on the ground on the turf at Arrowhead Stadium. ball game over. There it is, 30 to 29. Joshua Daniels let the go for two. Didn't get it. There it is. kick the extra points, 30 30. And of course, you know we had that debate yesterday and we'll continue to have that debate, which really to me is no debate. You kick the extra point, no question. Who knows? But anyway, so Devontae Evans now goes to the sideline, and when he goes to the sideline, takes his helmet off, both hands, throws it down on the ground in frustration. All right, Kansas City Chiefs waltz out there with their offense. Neil Diamond, boom, game over. Players leave their respective benches, do the glad. You know, shaking of hands, all that kind of stuff. And then Devonte Adams jogs to the tunnel. He's jogging into the tunnel. I'm sure that he was hearing some rants and raves from the crowds, some expletives. No question, he, he probably did. And then here comes this cameraman who is trying to get to his position on the field because he wants to shoot some still shots because he's doing his job. And So they bump, and Adams then takes both hands and shoves the guy to the ground. Now Devontae Adams apologized after the game in the post-game press conference, where he started off and apologized, and we read that apology yesterday. All right. Then he sent out an apology on Twitter, saying, "Man, I'm sorry. I hope you read this." All right. So a few things to this. Again, the latest is he's charged with a misdemeanor assault for shoving the media member after the game, and he's being charged with intentional overact that inflicted bodily injury. I guess that's the thing, right? Intentional overact that inflicted bodily injury. Like we said, the man has whiplash, a headache, and a minor concussion, went to the hospital. Okay. Now, although this is a misdemeanor, it's a big deal. Now, I know that there are some people in Kansas City that, that may take this as a huge deal. Others, like I said, aren't. But from a an attorney's aspect, they may even throw this thing out because it's a misdemeanor. But remember, as we saw with Deshaun Watson, right? He didn't get criminally charged. But he's still got eight-game suspension. So this is where the big deal comes in from the NFL's perspective. Because this is about a football player who's in pads and helmet shoving an innocent person to the ground for no reason. None whatsoever. This isn't an accident on the field of play or any part of the game. Now, we've seen photographers get steamrolled by players. We've seen him get hurt. Heck, we've seen broken bones. We've seen that before during the course of a game. But this isn't that. Okay, This is after the game. And I went through the timeline. Okay, This is on the way to the locker room. The photographer did absolutely nothing wrong here. And when Adams came back and gave his apology, and I'll go over that again with you. The apology from Devonte Adams. It was kind of this half-ass apology. It was like he was blaming the photographer, but then he wanted to take responsibility. Adam says, before I answer anything else, I want to apologize to the guy who was running off the field. He ran and jumped in front of me as I was coming off the field. I bumped into him. I kind of pushed him, and I think he ended up on the ground. So I want to say sorry to him for that. That was just frustration mixed in with him literally just running in front of me. I shouldn't have responded that way, but that's how I initially responded. So I want to apologize to him for that. Then he went to Twitter and said, Sorry to the guy I pushed over after the game. Obviously very frustrated the way the game ended. And when he ran in front of me as I exited, that was my reaction. And I felt horrible immediately. That's not me. My apologies. Man, I hope you see this. How do you take that apology? How many times did he say, a couple there, well, he ran in front of me. Well, I'm sorry. Hey, that's not me. Okay. So, people in Vegas really don't know Devontae Adams. I can tell you, he's a good guy. He's a character guy. But I had said before that there's going to be a point in time after the 0-3 start even after the first game where they lost, that he's not going to be happy. I've said this numerous times because he's not used to losing. And now they're in a one-and-four hole. You saw the way he reacted. Yes, he had times like that in Green Bay where he would act that way. I'm not saying that's why he left Green Bay. I've talked about it before. Partly Aaron Rodgers. Partly the head coach. All right. Matt LaFleur. And, again, he was free agent, said, hey, I, I, I'd, I'd love to go uh, closer to the West Coast, play with Derek Carr. Okay, the Raiders seem like an up-and-coming organization, but the bottom line is the Raiders have no recent history of winning, and he wants to win. So I said, and I'll say it again, frustration is with Devonte Adams because he's not used to losing games like this. He's used to being number one, number two seed on teams like that that go to the playoffs and deep to the playoffs. All right? That's not the Raiders, and the Raiders haven't started that way. But for Devontae Adams to say, hey, this is the heat of the moment, heat of the game, nonsense. Okay, Adams was upset because he bobbled the pass at the end of the game. Upset that he ran into Renfro in the final two plays of the game. Threw his helmet down after that. Like I said, Kansas City ran their offense onto the field. They went and diamond. Players walked across the field, shaked their hands, went off the field. That's a good two minutes. Two, two and a half, three minutes. All right? And if you really watch it back, he wasn't steamed like he was when he came off the field throwing his helmet. All right? So to use the excuse, Amy, I was frustrated about the way he ended the game. Okay, you're a pro. You're one of the highest paid players in the NFL, highest paid wide receiver. You are going to be held to a higher standard. You must be, and you should be. And so for him to lose his cool like that and to use it as an excuse, no. You shoved an innocent guy who was just there doing his job, not a fan, giving you a bad time, not not another player that you want to go at it with. Game is over. All right? This is not in the heat of the game. It's not part of the game. And that's why this is a big deal with the NFL. Shoves the photographer, shouldn't have done it. And now let's talk about the apology. The apology at the press conference. Then you go to Twitter. How about this? Go find the guy. If you really want to make a sincere apology, go find the guy. Okay, you're going back to the locker room. You know, you, you got to go do a press conference. That's fine. But if it's really bothering you and you're thinking, okay, I'm in hot water now. Because you know you're in hot water. You're on Monday Night Football. Nationally televised game Worldwide. And you shove the guy, so in the back of your mind, you're knowing. That's why he said, man, before I start this press conference, I want to say this. So if you're that concerned about it, and we've seen players do this. We've seen players go apologize to other coaches that they've yelled at. Or coaches yelling at other coaches or players. You see that? They go find him in the locker room. All right. It wouldn't be too hard to grab somebody, security somebody. Hey, man, you, you see that guy? That Anyway, you could go get him, pull him aside, you know? I'll give him I'll give him a pair of my my gloves, football, something. Or I just want to, hey, apologize. Easy to do because that photographer wasn't going anywhere. He was there for at least, I'm guessing, a half hour to an hour after the game. So if you really want to apologize if you're Devontae Adams, you go find the person. All right. Now, if he's being carted off, then guess what? You call the hospital. You make an effort. Not this blind Twitter nonsense. And this is how people want to communicate these days. This is how they want to quit sports or retire. This is why how they want to apologize. They want to go on social media and do it. If you're so conscious and aware of this, then make an effort. okay? If you make an effort to the guy and say, Hey, man, I'm sorry about all this. And you're sincere. I guarantee you this probably doesn't even get to a lawsuit. It probably doesn't even file a police report if Adam shows that he's a remorseful human being. That's all. So you, you got none of that. So you re- you hear the apology, you read it, remorseful, not, doesn't sound like it. Now from the NFL side of it, what's the NFL's action going to be? That's the big debate right now. Likely, yes, it's going to be a suspension. The Raiders are hoping it's not a suspension. Devontae Adams and the Raiders like say, hey, fine. They love fines because they got so much money. What's a fine? What are you going to fine them? 10 grand, 50 grand, hundred? Okay. You lose a game check. Now you're losing close to a million dollars with Devontae Adams contract. So the NFL more than likely will lean on suspension because that game check will mean a lot more to Devontae Adams. And it sends a message to to all the other players and everyone else in the league and throughout sports. Okay, you cannot shove a person who's innocently doing his job. It's not jawing with you nothing. Adams had no reason to do that. No excuse. And here's the thing where the NFL is probably going to give the suspension because this is a credentialed media member. That the NFL has sanctioned and cleared to be there. This person is working an NFL game. Even though he's a freelance photographer, the NFL does not want this on their watch with one of their credential media members that happened at one of their facilities. So that's where the big deal. Fan, different story. They just load this guy up with swag, you know, and that kind of stuff. Different. All right, and then there's always the debate. Well, did the fan antagonize the player? They throw something, say something. Okay, this is an innocent guy doing his job, and now you probably kept him from completing his job because the guy got carved off to the hospital. So yeah, it's a big deal. It's an image thing, and then you factor in the Raider situation as well too, and people can remember the commissioner remembers Henry Ruggs. okay, Damon Arnett, yielding a weapon. A machine gun. rugs, Killing Tina Tintor and her dog. Here in Las Vegas. Yeah. John Gruden. Sure. The emails. All of that stuff. So, does it factor in? Probably a little bit when it comes to reputation. But the NFL will likely suspend Devontae Adams. No appeal here necessary. Devontae Adams should take his one-game suspension, and that's it. So... The legal side of it, mm-hmm. 15 days in jail, $750. That, that's what—that's the max. Right, because it's a misdemeanor. Because it's a misdemeanor. Yeah, in the state of Missouri. Which is nothing. peanuts. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing. But that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no. Right? As far as the NFL goes, it means nothing. So you take it away. The, the guy could have just body slammed the guy. He could have pile-driven him on the, on the concrete throw him into the ring post, right? Like like oh, a res My neck. Yeah, exactly, right? And the suspension from the NFL would probably be the same because they don't care about what it, – it, it doesn't have to be criminal yeah, no. for the NFL. So I, I get that. But what that says is, okay, this is nothing. And that's probably why I would even say maybe 50 to 60% chance of this getting thrown out altogether. The prosecutors might say, you know what, okay, are you okay? Sorry about your headache. Sorry you couldn't do the job. Sorry you got a little whiplash, okay? And the wording here, I mean, it's very fringe, too. And not taking nothing away from it, but they say a possible concussion. He didn't even hit his whiplash. head. Whiplash. Watch the video so many times. I know, much. I know, I know. I can see, I, like, the snapback. I, na- snap I, but... I know, but it's, like yeah, I said, I a professional football player who's padded up, helmet on, Well protected. I mean, somebody could strike Devontae Adams. He's not going to feel anything because he's all padded up and has a helmet on. So, again, I think that's what the NFL is going to look at. And it does not matter from the criminal side because, yeah, it's a misdemeanor. There's really nothing criminal here. But it is a big deal from that perspective with the NFL. They are going to look at this thing and say, image, image, image. We don't want it. All right. We don't want guys going and soliciting 20-some-odd women to get a massage and asking for hand jobs. <laughs> oh, did nothing wrong? Consensual, non-consensual, whatever. We don't care. Bad luck. Devontae Adams shoving a photographer? Nah, not the image we want. A guy being drunk at 4 o'clock in the morning killing somebody? Definitely not the image we want. But that's what you got. You know? Guy going through an airport with a Wizinator, marijuana, stuff like that back in the day. Ontario Smith, I'm talking about. Wizinator, nah, not, not the image we're looking for. It's all about image. And, and what is everyone talking about today? Are we talking about Josh McDaniel not going for you know going for two again? Andy Reid getting away with going for two? Nah. That story has subsided. What are we talking about now? Devontae Adams shoving. A working media member. You know what's gotten pushed under the rug? The whole Brett Favre situation. That has. That has. Now, in, to be honest with you, it should. Because it's a non-football related story. Well, yeah,
1: but I'm just saying.
3: And, yeah, it, it has. Uh, but again, you know, that's that's another story that we could talk about here. That people don't have the facts. Yeah. And they just say, oh, oh, oh Brett Favre, he did this. No. Okay. Here, here we go. It's like I'm talking about knowing Devont knowing Brett Favre, knowing what these guys are all about. Okay? You want to talk about Brett Favre? Okay. Brett Favre. Number four. Number four. I can't do it. I have to. No. You don't, need, you don't need to be like like I, Frank and other people like number that. Number four. Yeah. You Bears fans. You know. All right. So what, what Brett Favre has done Okay, is being country. He's country. All right? Is that an excuse? Yeah, because Brett does some things that he doesn't think that he's doing wrong and he kind of flies by the seat of his pants. That's who he is. Great guy. Now, great guy in that community for donating millions upon millions of dollars, which he was doing here. Now, Brett has a I don't want to say a lot. I'll say several people that are involved in his foundations. And I can tell you firsthand, in his restaurants, all those things that people think, oh, yeah. The guy had his restaurant in Green Bay. He had his name on the restaurant. He would go dine there once in a while, but he wasn't cashing out checks. He wasn't waiting on tables. He wasn't doing anything. All right? So it's just like this. He's trying. He was raising money for several causes, and the big one where people are talking about with this, he's raising money for the University of Southern Mississippi volleyball program, and he's trying to get a new arena built there and raised all kinds of money. He was not aware, and I believe him, was not aware that these funds were targeted for welfare recipients, and like he said, he did not know that. But the where he gets himself in a little problem, because he likes to text, and he, and he sends a text and says, hey, you know, all this stuff going on, If will the media find out about this? Okay, so that kind of makes it sound like, okay, you're guilty, but that's just Brett being Brett. And so is he going to try to swindle the, the the county there or the University of Southern Mississippi as his alma mater? Heck no. Heck no. I mean, he's... He's coached there, and he's, again, raised money there. His daughter going to school there, you know, paying tuition there for his other kids, all that stuff. So, no. That is another story that gets typical media stuff. People don't know the facts, don't know the person, don't know the foundations that are involved here, don't know how those uh, uh, funds are appropriated. And if you're going to report or comment on those stories, you got to do the homework and dig deep into the situation. So again, I don't spend a lot of time talking about it. I'm just going by what I know of the person, the situation, and but without diving into it, even, you know, because this is not gossip radio. I don't do gossip talk, gossip radio. That's that's not what this show is all about. This is we'll talk about the facts, okay, and then everyone has an opinion. That's cool. Whether they're listeners, you know, people on social media want to chime into the show. Whatever it is, and with our guests, we'll give you opinion. But basically, we're here reporting stories, predicting outcomes of games, having fun, and, and, and that's what this show is all about. So, not going to sit there and try to pretend that I know exactly what happened with that Brett Favre story. But I can just tell you that the directions that this thing is going, people are reporting this who do not have all of the facts. I know. I was was just bringing it up like all of a sudden that just disappears. Well, I wasn't calling you out. I know. I I was just saying that needed to be said. I know. Just because there, uh, so many different media reports are all over the map, you know, with that thing as well, too. So anyway, but totally different and nothing to do with with Devontae Adams in this situation. So the NFL did say this, that they were going to take their time with this since the Raiders have a buy. bye which I don't think they should, oh, okay, team doesn't have a, you know, it, it, it can get tabled because we've got these other things that we're going to deal with right now. Because right now, what are they talking about? Concussion protocol. They're talking about roughing the passer. Uh, owners are going to have their midseason meeting here coming up real soon. Hey, let's address this. This has got to go to the top of the, the table now. we got to talk about that for discussion-wise. You know, okay, you need to talk about this as well, too, and make a decision and don't hang the Raiders, Devonte Adams, or anybody else out to dry here. Just, okay, you have the facts, you got the video, talk to Devonte Adams, talk to the photographer, you know, Ryan Zebley, okay? And people should call him by his name because he is a human being here and, again, was just doing his job. Talk to him, talk to witnesses, and then hand out whatever you're going to hand out. And would a suspe- suspension be fair? Absolutely. Is it going to be one game, two games? I'm guessing. That would be just my prediction, that it's going to be a one-game suspension. Move on with it, done with it. And Devontae Adams, reach out to, to Ryan Zeble yourself and apologize. If you would have done that, maybe you wouldn't even got to this point. All right, we come back. We talk college football. Trevor Maddich is going to join us. We've got probably the early game of the year coming your way. Alabama, Tennessee, those Vols, are they for real? Roll Tide, number one in the nation. Will their quarterback, Bryce Young, be back? All those questions and more coming up next.
0: Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, Oh,
3: a little freaky-dinky on a Wednesday. Don't forget, we will be at the Westgate on Tuesday. Tuesday, <laughs> Friday, start over. Two o'clock, two to four. Friday. See, this is what happens when you start getting some freaky deaky and some broy airs. You pull this out of the the human air. I get that way. Westgate, Las Vegas, world famous Superbook coming your way. Friday. You know who's gonna be there? Me. You know, who'd be there via the phone. Our next this, guest. This guy right okay. here. Trevor Maddich, he's on fire, I think. (laughs) I say I think. I guess I should check the records before I say he's on fire with his picks. But he is the college football guru. He is the relentless one. Trevor Maddich, what is going on, my man? Well, T.C., it depends on how you define fire, right? Yeah, right. uh, uh, Last week, my three college picks were 1-1-1, but I was 3-0 in the NFL. No, 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 no Trevor. I'm going to stop you right now. You were not 1-1-1 one, one, and one because the disclaimer on this show is ties win, my friend. Oh, they do? That's right. All right. Ties win. I love your disclaimers, TC. There it is. So my, that's why I was right. You were 5-1. and 5-1. and one. Wow. Look at that. see, there, there are times. <laughs> then I love it when you're right. <laughs> and the way I view that is, you know, again, you know, we're doing this for fun. There's no money involved, just bragging rights. So, yeah, if there's a push and say one guy has one side, the other side, and one guy has the other side, you both win. That's it. Because it's, you know, ties win. That's what we do here.
1: Well, yeah, that works. And there's no money involved, but unofficially. Yes. And I will, I will never confirm or deny it. There is sushi involved.
3: There is, yeah. Well, not with me because you know, I don't I don't do sushi. But you and Marco have the sushi. You and I have uh, chicken ribs or steak. That's what we, that's what we have going on,
1: my friend. Yeah, well, go see. See, I win anyway there because sushi is a lot more expensive than chicken ribs or steak. <laughs> Although the steak that you eat, yes. is the kind of steak that gets like like massages and fed milk and all that stuff. I mean, you 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 eat the good stuff.
3: Yes, yeah. There you go. You're talking about Deshaun Watson uh, steaks. Is that what you're saying? Oh, uh, no, Chuck isn't listen. here. He didn't do it.
1: Uh. Your your steak you can cut with a with the side of your fork. My <laughs> steak requires a chainsaw. It's just a matter of economics.
3: Yeah, I I, I never understood uh, Trevor why you why you like uh, your meat so well done. Never understood that. Yeah,
2: well, it's not that it's well done. It's, <laughs> right. that, it's that I can't afford to cut a meat that you I know. can. I'm just teasing you. Know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! All right, brother. Well, we have got the. I would say the game of the year thus far, wouldn't you, say, wouldn't you say that, with Alabama and Tennessee in Knoxville at that, right? And Oh, yeah. D- did you honestly foresee this rendition of the Tennessee Volunteers coming, say, six, seven, eight weeks ago before the season started? You know what? I thought that they had a chance to be the third-best team in
1: the SEC. So I thought they'd be good. But the offense has really taken the next step. And the offense is what's carrying this team. The defense, unfortunately, is, uh, you know, they're they are doing the best they can, bless their hearts. But the offense is performing about at the maximum level of its potential. And in college football, it's kind of rare to see position groups or, or sides of the ball performing to the maximum of their potential. Usually it's somewhere less than that because they're college kids. And so, yeah, I thought they'd be very good. But to be here with game day in Knoxville for the second time this season, and a lot of people picking them to beat Alabama, depending on the Bama quarterback situation, yeah, Tennessee I think has uh, exceeded expectations.
3: Now, when you look at, at at Tennessee, I mean they've had some down years, and we know those Volunteer fans. I mean they're they're loyal, they're faithful, and and I think they are are definitely looking at as in the, the cup is half full here. But what is the reality, though, Trevor? I mean, once this team, you know, gets to face an Alabama and some other tough teams down the road here. I mean, we usually get to this in the middle of October and then all of a sudden, okay, this team is a little bit phony. Let's examine what Tennessee's done. Now, they've put up a ton of points. Okay, now we know Pittsburgh isn't the same team from last year without Kenny Pickett. They, they beat them by seven. We'll throw out the Ball State game because that was Ball State and opening day. Akron, we'll throw that game out. And then Florida, okay? They barely beat Florida. Another game that was on their home turf in Knoxville. And, you know, Florida, as you've mentioned, you know, overrated quarterback. So now you go and you blast LSU at LSU. And as I mentioned last week, an 11 o'clock in the morning game central time there uh, is not the same thing as LSU at night and LSU is not the same LSU that we've seen in years past. So I guess it's sounding like what I'm saying here is maybe we shouldn't get too excited about Tennessee because they really haven't beaten anybody. Yeah. And let me pile on that one,
1: that Florida game with Anthony Richardson, a quarterback who has largely struggled this year, Richardson threw for 453 yards ouch, and two touchdowns. Yeah. and, And that's one thing that we knew. So when you talk about, well, are they, are they really that good? Well, their defense, nobody ever thought would be very good. And, and it's not what they have been able to do on defense is get teams off the field. In other words, because the offense is so good, the defense has been able to take risks and sometimes they got burned on those risks. And sometimes they won, they got a turnover. They got a big stop, something like that. So that's, Sort of the desperation nature of the Tennessee defense right now. And a, a couple of weeks ago, their best cover corner went out with injury. I believe he's out for the year. The And, and he wasn't that good anyhow. He's at best the number two corner, not a number one corner in the SEC. He's gone. So they have trouble on the perimeter. That safety, one of their starting safeties right now, I'm not sure what his status is. I haven't checked it as of today. But he was involved in an off-field incident that, that might jeopardize his availability for this game. So uh, a weak secondary has gotten weaker over the last few weeks. So the defense is not going to be anything other than it is. They're going to take some chances and see what they can do. The offense, though, is doing amazing things. You start out with just the skill. Hendon hooker at quarterback is not perfect. There's times when he'll miss open receivers. But for the most part, when receivers are, are heading down the field and that ball's in the air off of hooker's hand, the audience holds their breath because they know there's a really good chance it's going to be complete deep down the field. And the receivers have been really good. Their best receiver, Cedric Tillman, is out, but they've got a couple other receivers that have stepped up, including former USC receiver Bruce McCoy, big receiver who's who's been able to make a lot of plays until Tillman's absence, and then other guys too. It's not just the Bruce McCoy show. And when you add to that the tempo, that's what really makes the difference. I did a breakdown for Sports Center that was from last year's Tennessee-Alabama game and how the tempo gave Alabama's defense trouble. Because Bama off defense does something called check-recheck. So when the offense will, will check a play, in other words, they'll line up, they'll do a fake snap count, they'll see what the defense is in, then the offense will look over at the sideline. And they'll get a new play in, or a confirmation of the old play, from the coach. And they think they have an advantage. What Bama does is as soon as the offense does that, the Bama defense looks to their sideline. And they get a check-in based on what their Alabama defensive coaches think the offense just checked to. It's one of the reasons that Alabama's defense always seems to be in the right, in the right call. Right. Well, teams have started to catch up to that if they can run tempo. This breakdown shows a, a two-play sequence from last year, Tennessee against Alabama. Tennessee ran an ordinary play. The ball, um, you know, the ball is getting reset by the uh, official, the tackles made, all that. 12 seconds later, Tennessee snaps the ball again. So instead of looking at the sideline, they were ready with the next play right now, while Alabama was looking to the sideline. Now, most of the Alabama defense kind of got lined up okay at the time of the snap, but one guy did not. The Alabama defensive back, who was lined up in a press man coverage position over the receiver for Tennessee he was way out to the right sideline but the Bama defensive back had his back to the receiver looking up the field to his sideline to make sure he got the call correct the ball was snapped with the Bama defensive back facing the wrong direction and of course Tennessee threw a vertical route to that receiver and and it was kind of embarrassing uh, for Alabama well there were a bunch of plays that put Bama in in coverage uh purgatory because of the tempo so when you put all that together for Tennessee's offense, the accuracy for the quarterback, the poise of the quarterback, the receiver stepping up, the offensive line doing what it needs to do, a good stable of running backs, and the fastest tempo of any team in college football, you've got an offense that has a very good chance to negate some of the things that Alabama does best on defense.
3: So a couple things I'll address there, Trevor. First of all, you mentioned you know Jalen McCullough is the safety who, and uh, we, we talked about this on Terrible Tuesday yesterday, where. Um, again, he you know punched out uh, a guy who knocked on the uh, ro- the wrong door and fell down the uh, stairs. McCullough had a bloody hand and, and was arrested, was actually arrested because he ref- not only because of that, but then when police came to question him, he refused to answer questions. That, OK, that's it. We're, we're taking you away. So I would find that hard to believe that, that he would play. And, you know, even though no one in Tennessee is really talking about this, Josh Heupel not even, even talking about it. But I would suspect, I mean, he is your starting safety. You're going to need him against Alabama. And then you got some, you know, off the field issues here. And you got, you know, that rigmarole and a little circus going on, you know, in the locker room with that. So that can't be a positive thing. You mentioned uh, their defense uh, not being very good. Well, t- you go back to last year's game and you mentioned also how, you know, kind of threw Alabama off. Alabama still won that game 52 to 24 last year. And they won that game going away. But I think the big thing is is Bryce Young and he's listed as doubtful right now. So let's just say if if Milroe is going to be the starting quarterback and he got to start underneath his belt last week, how much will that affect Alabama's chances of winning this game considering that maybe Tennessee's defense is not that good. You see, it's been a long time since we years
1: since we could say that Alabama has a distinct disadvantage at quarterback in a game. But in this game, I, no matter who starts for the Tide, I think that's going to be the case. Uh, the the thing about uh, Bryce Young is that even if he does play, will his shoulders, right shoulders, throwing shoulder, be strong enough to drive the ball down the field and to the sidelines for four full quarters? And if it's not, then the defense will come up and gum up the short passing lanes and the running game, and they'll force Bryce Young to do that not just once but a bunch of times to see if that arm is going to wear down. So that's something to watch if Young plays. Another thing about whether or not Young plays is that Nick Saban really is about the athlete. He's not about he's not about using the athlete for his own purpose. I think a lot of people would you know find that to be a shocking statement, but that is the truth, and that is a a you know a $100 million arm sitting there on Bryce Young. And I don't think Nick Saban would do anything to jeopardize that. And so if he thinks that Young could play, but if he took a hit, it would make it worse. If uh, he overused it, he could make it worse. Not only is that bad for the player, this is where the the interests coincide. It's also bad for the team. Uh, Because Alabama can lose this game to Tennessee and still have all their goals in front of them. They lose their margin for error. But they can still win the SEC and go to the playoff if they lose to Tennessee. But they can't win the SEC and go to the playoff. It's, it's much less likely that Alabama can win the SEC and go to the playoff. If Young plays in this game, gets that shoulder banged up further, and for the next month, month and a half, he's playing, he's playing gimpy. And it goes to not just Young but also his receivers because keep in mind that all those points that Alabama put on Tennessee last year It included Jamison Williams and John Metchie at receiver, didn't it? Right. Um, um, Yeah, and so right now there's nobody remotely like that in this Alabama wide receiver room. So if you combine a quarterback that's a little bit limited in the way he might stretch the field with receivers that are up and down. They'll show flashes, but they'll disappear, and then other times they'll just drop balls. And you combine those two things, and all of a sudden that, that weak Tennessee defense isn't, or might not be threatened like it was last year.
3: All right, Alabama, a a 7.5-point favorite. If you're ever thinking about betting the tide, uh, the only time you get that type of a line is in a national championship game. You you don't even get that in in the playoffs, in in the semifinals. So it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. We'll get the status of, uh, of Bryce Young. Right now he's listed as doubtful. And here's the thing about Hooker. Uh, real quick before we move on, Trevor is like I was never a Hendon Hooker fan when he was in Virginia Tech, and now and even last year at Tennessee. Now all of a sudden people are, are raving about him like like a Heisman candidate. Is he has he really been that improved, or is it just yeah. with the system? No, no, no. He, he's
1: he's that improved at running the system. He's very poised, very confident. He knows what he's doing now. So the system is a tool that he uses rather than a system being just an environment that he runs around in kind of at random. And I will say this Jalen Milrow starts at quarterback for Alabama, very good runner, um, got a live arm, but you're not quite sure where the ball's going. He exactly. will make big plays, but he'll also make big, big plays for the defense. Mm-hmm. And so that's that inconsistency is where, You've got to watch if Milro
3: plays. All right, real quick, let's go through some other games coming up on Saturday here. Uh, You know, Kansas was uh, the flavor of the month until they got beat last week, but uh, still people are believing in them. But odds makers aren't, Trevor. They're going to Oklahoma, and and Oklahoma is still a nine point favorite. And we've seen how bad the Sooners have been in this week, uh, this year. Uh, Quick thoughts on, on, on KU and Oklahoma.
1: Okay, first of all, uh, Jalen Daniels, their starting quarterback, looks like he won't be playing. But the backup, Jason Bean, was dropping dimes last week against TCU. I mean contested uh, receivers where the ball dropped into the perfect spot. And so if he can continue that, this offense is still dangerous. Oklahoma, in watching their, um, their defense against TCU, I went back and watched that tape, the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma should just drop football. Completely. <laughs> right. After their defensive form. I'm Just out of, out of self-respect because of their defensive performance. I mean, guys in the wrong spot. Guys not sure what to do. Guys not playing hard. Guys not running hard. Guys getting frustrated. Wait, wait, you're not we talking
3: we just... about Oklahoma A&M or Oklahoma Tech no, or the Oklahoma uh, Barbecue Academy. You're not talking about them. You're talking about the Oklahoma Sooners should, should drop the football program.
1: Because of how their defense played against TCU, (laughs) yes.
3: Yeah, and then maybe bring it back in about 10 years, right? (laughs) They have a lot of work to –
1: and the thing about the Kansas offense is that it is a a shotgun-based creative triple option that uses lots of eye candy to distract defenders. That is uh, not going to work against the best defenses that are the most disciplined. You just have to beat them. But Oklahoma is neither on defense. They are neither the most talented, nor do they have any semblance of eye discipline. Mm -hmm.
3: All right. Uh, Here's another strange line, Trevor. Texas is 16.5 point favorite over Iowa State. I say strange because we're used to this being a battle. We're used to Iowa State keeping games close, and they have, and their defense being staunch, which they still are, but to see Texas basically more than two touchdowns uh, a favorite in this game? You think that's right? Yeah, I think that's right because
1: of the offense. I mean, Quinn Ewers, uh, would have beaten Alabama, Texas quarterback, but he got hurt early in that game. When he's healthy, he can drop times, and he's got one of these, maybe the best group of wide receivers in the Big 12, one of the better groups of wide receivers in the country. And then B. John Robinson out of the backfield, you could make a case as the best running back in the country, not just uh, handing it off to him, but also throwing the ball to him out of the backfield. You put all that together uh, in the face of an Iowa State offense that doesn't threaten anybody in any way. If, if viewers gets hot, it, it, they could very well cover this.
3: All right. Trevor Mancha joins us. ESPN College Football, always with us each and every week, loving it. Okay. The big game here is USC and Utah, and we saw what happened to Utah last week. I don't know if you want to say look-ahead game, but they went into the Rose Bowl. They lost to, to UCLA. The score may be really not indicative of how close the game maybe was because a double-digit victory there for UCLA. Utah's at home, and they are a favorite over USC. We talk about flavor of the month, flavor of the year. It's Lincoln Riley. It's USC. What do you think here, Trevor?
1: Utah lost the game against UCLA because UCLA was the tougher, more physical team. That doesn't get said very often. In fact, well play for Utah, because they're usually the bullies on the block. But that's exactly what happened. Utah wanted to turn that into... Uh, alley fight and see if UCLA could handle it when they got smashed in the mouth. Well, guess what? UCLA didn't just handle it. They stood toe-to-toe with Utah, gave it right back to them, and were the physical team, right? And so I think that Utah's got some problems here because that shouldn't have happened. That's not anything against UCLA, but now you've got a UCLA or a USC team that actually has some, some real some future NFL guys on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I wouldn't say that they're you know, Alabama or Georgia on the line of scrimmage. They're not even close to that. But they've got guys that can hold up. Then you've got the skill. If Utah can't beat up USC physically, then the skill goes against the skill. And when you talk about combination of quarterback, receivers, running backs, you have to give the advantage to USC. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, better defense over at Utah, but still USC leads the nation in takeaways. They're one of the best in the country in sacks. So Havoc plays, USC is, is excelling at. And a lot of people say that that's not repeatable week after week, but so far it's been repeatable week after week for them because they coach it that way. And so this will be where the matchup is. Can Utah – on offense, play a a clean game and not allow that USC defense to take the ball away? Because they do. They take the ball away from you. If that happens, then you have a fair fight on the other side of the ball. But the question is, will the USC defense continue its its monumental performance in sacking the quarterback and taking the ball away from the offense? That will be – and you'll know pretty early in the game uh, what's going on with that because you'll know if Utah – um, if, if they give it up early, it might snowball for them. Wow. I, I like USC in this game, though. All right. Because, yeah, because I think you know, they've got the ability to stand up to Utah physically. And then then it's a 7-on-7 game, and they have the advantage
3: there. They do. All right, Trev, let's ask you about locally here, UNLV hosting Air Force. And UNLV, UNLV got smacked by San Jose State last week, and all of a sudden the fan base is like, okay, here we go again. But Air Force comes in here uh, Saturday night, at Allegiant Stadium, in the 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 perfect fast track, uh, running that uh, triple option, give us your thoughts about this year's Air Force team, and what do you think happens with Air Force UNLV Saturday? You know, it's 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 interesting
1: how these teams match up because they both have, from a statistical standpoint, one of the, some of the best offenses in the Mountain West, and they do it in different ways. You know, the the. Um, UNLV is throwing the ball well, and they're running the ball pretty well. Air, Air Force is Air Force. You know, they run the ball most of the time. When they throw it, they tend to be pretty effective at it. I mean, their their completion percentage is under 50%, but they've got four different players that have a touchdown pass of at least 40 yards. Two of them have a touchdown pass of 80 yards. And so you still have to be careful about that for Air Force. And so, to me, that's where the the interesting thing will be in this game. How will the UNLV defense handle Uh, this because the UNLV defense is giving up a lot of passing yards. And as long as they don't fall asleep, Air Force isn't really going to threaten them consistently down the field. And UNLV has been pretty good as a rushing defense. So that's, that's where the game is going to be won and lost. You know, I, I, I like the the balance of the UNLV offense. I like Brumfeld, you know, I like, I like what they're doing on offense, but to me, it's going to be all about, all about the rushing defense because it's strength on strength, the rebels against the Falcons, Rushing defense against rushing offense.
3: All right, all right. Uh, he is Trevor Maddich. You can catch him, of course, on uh, Sports Center. We're going to see you on Sports Center what uh, tomorrow and Friday. What's the Leo, man with with your Alabama-Tennessee breakdown and more? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna bounce it around. So keep an eye out. Keep an eye- and, and that's Trevor Maddich still with the beard. And,
1: yeah, still with the beard. And by the way, I'll be on the the um, um, halftime game uh, halftime of the game. Tonight. Yes. At 730 Eastern. So um, that will be a whole lot of fun, too. All right. And who's picking out your wardrobe right now? Uh, Well, my wife just got me a new tie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, she's uh, so we'll see how this tie works. It's a little busy. Uh, The question is, does the camera uh, will the camera wig out when it sees it? If it doesn't, it's a very pretty tie. That's just sort of an inside TV thing. If you have too tight of a pattern on a tie, the, the tie just looks like
3: it's going yeah. completely yeah. ballistic We're going to think we have one of those old-school test patterns, you know, on the... as yeah. well, we need to... Dee- going. Yeah, you sound sounding off the alarm, Trevor. Be careful.
1: Yeah, so if that happens, just tweet me, and, and in the commercial, I'll switch ties. It's the Louisiana <laughs> Marshall game, by the way, and so that should be a fun one.
3: We are Marshall! I love Marshall. I always like Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. You Who. who you, by liked, the way. you like Marshall tonight?
1: Uh, You know what? I... I I do like Marshall tonight. Louisiana's kind of taking a step back with uh, their coach Billy Napier and that quarterback and a few others leaving. Um, and also, we are yeah Marshall, yeah. but we are also Penn State. Yeah, That's true. And also, it is acceptable. We are Kent State. There are a lot of we are's out there. There's too but many. Marshall films. has a movie. Yeah. So you know.
3: So good, we know about that and a good one too, my man. I appreciate you know yeah, I appreciate tragedy. the time. Thanks for taking time out. We'll see you on TV tonight, and of course uh, the next couple days, and we'll uh, you'll be back with us Friday from the Westgate, and then a Trevor match all day Saturday on ESPN Radio. Take care, my man, and straighten out that tie. Yeah, and I was really five and one. Yeah, five and one. There you go. Dang. Come on, listen. Th- People look up to you as an astute handicapper now. Don't ask questions. Say, "Yeah, I was five and one." Come on, man. Confidence. <laughs> I want to, I want to undersell and over deliver. All right. All right. You do that a good, good job of that, my friend. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. There he is Trevor Maddich. We come back. Chris Bosio is going to join us. We talk a little postseason baseball. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that Astros game from last night. We'll talk about the Dodgers and the Padres game, two coming tonight. That and a whole lot more coming your way. Rod Smith joins us we talk a little more NFL next hour as well, too. Roughing the passer? Coaches making bonehead decisions? That's going to be fun. Don't you dare go anywhere. You know why? What the Wolfman would say, oh, my, my, those the are green onions hanging all over the studio there.
0: Center field again.
3: See oh, man, We've never seen one the roll out there. It's
1: time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
2: Oh my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ball.
0: TC Martin.
3: number two oh yes on this wednesday glad to have you with us talking a little football and of course major league baseball the postseason upon us here the divisional round you got game ones in the books game twos coming your way tonight we'll talk all about that with the pitching coach the pitcher extraordinaire and the king of all things wisconsin that's right chris Bosio joins us now. Boz, what is up my friend? Set the table, set the scene for us here in the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Well,
2: it rained again today. It's about 40 45 <laughs> degrees and uh-oh, time to pack out. Time to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're we're having a good time here hanging out with my son and seeing some friends and doing a couple lessons along the way and you know, it's been a nice, it's been a nice stay, and looking forward to staying here a little bit longer.
3: Really, I mean, you're you're okay with cold. I know you like the heat though too. So, but uh, you're gonna stick for a little bit, huh? Well, it's just more hanging out with my
2: son. I enjoy that.
3: Hey, I got some news for you. Uh, breaking news. Speaking of which, um, so you know, I was in Sacramento last weekend and did the Negro League event. You, you were, yeah. You you know, uh, you, we wish you could have been there, and you would have been there if you could. But here's some breaking news for you. Uh, our boy. Your guy, GV23, will be making his way down there this weekend. Packers, Jets, Greg Vaughn, coming to Green Bay.
2: Hometown, coming this way. Yeah. So, you know, you might want to, you know. Tell Greg to give me a call if he's got a couple extra tickets. I I will do that. There it
3: is. There it is. And uh, and he'll probably say, "Okay, Boz, you make sure you have a couple extra beers for him." And probably a fair <laughs> no problem. a fair trade, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. We got the, we got the uh the Polka march there. A little Packer march. Beer barrel polka. The baby. beer barrel polka, there it is. Yeah. Stand on top of the dugout and, and do that if you're Mr. Bratwurst. Yeah, Boz knows all about that, don't you? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, what do you expect? Hey, now, last time we had you on the show, I mean, very, uh, you know, we have unusual circumstances on this show, and we've done some, some crazy interviews at crazy locations. But last time, Boz, you were on, we did it live from your pitching lessons from some indoor uh, facility. Uh, you were telling these kids, uh, you know, how to, how to break off the curveball, you know hitting the spots, playing the game that was outstanding. I didn't really firmly understand your text that you sent me afterwards, though. Uh, what was those kids' take about about uh, you doing the interview while the show was going on live?
2: They thought it was really cool because of how I interacted with you and with them. Oh, okay, cool. They, they well, a couple of the kids that I have, they're they're a part of this 12 and under travel team that is. I don't think they've lost a game in two years together. <laughs> so they're very, they're stacked, they're good. And they have sites on Cooperstown next year. That's what they're gearing for. Um, as you know, with, you know, everybody going to Cooperstown, some of the districts are bigger than others. Las Vegas was represented this year. You know, when they were back there, Phoenix was represented by a team from Peoria. Right. And, but some of the, the other countries, have countrywide draws compared to, like, say, county draws. And it's it's something that the, I know that baseball is trying to figure out and how to level the playing field, if you will, a little bit. But, you know, it, it's, it's fun just interacting with the kids. It keeps me young, to, you know, TC.
3: Yeah.
2: I love doing it, especially when you can light up a kid's face. You know, they come in and they don't have a lot of confidence, you know, and they're walking out. I, the one thing I always do is any any client that I have coming in, I always promise them that they're going to throw three miles an hour harder when they leave. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for about 30 years, and I've never let a client down. There's always ways to get the kids to work harder. It's not me doing it. It's them. I right. want to be clear. Mm-hmm. And that's all we got to do is just get them to work harder. And, re- and th- 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 Another thing, just remind them how good they really are and how good they can be.
3: Yeah. No, I know how you are with that too, with that positive reinforcement. And I was even talking about that after we got done with the interview and I think you already hung up, but I was actually saying about, about, you know, coaching that is such a key element about positive reinforcement, especially at that age. Uh, you know, and and I think everybody needs that. I mean, even at the major league level, wouldn't you agree with that again? Here's Chris Bosio, not only pitched in the major leagues, but, you know, coached, you know, world series champion with the Cubs and so many years as a, as a pitching coach. I mean, don't you kind of have to even really kind of have some of the same principles and the same approaches if you're, if you're coaching 12 year olds or you're coaching, you know, 22 or 35 year olds, just as far as, you know, uh, you know, positive reinforcement as well as all the mechanical
2: stuff. Positive reinforcement is a part of life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people you have in your studio, but I know right now each of them are probably remembering the last time that you told them, great job. You know, that goes a long way with people that you work with. You know? I mean, I, I try to say it to my, my son all the time. Yesterday he just got a huge raise, and now, he's, now all he's doing is he's, he's busting his tail all around his apartment you know, clean it up, you know, it's a, it's a pride thing. And when you, when you get good comments from people, you're being recognized and makes you feel good about what you're doing and you enjoy going back to work. But when you don't hear it for a while, you start second guessing yourself. Like, you know, did these, these guys forget about me, Yeah. you know, and you get, you have, everybody has some insecurities. Some are bigger than others, you know, and some people, they might be the toughest kid on the block, but they might need that pat on the back more than the, you know, the real soft guy.
3: Very true. Very true. Chris Basio uh, joins us, and I think you're talking about uh, when you, you mentioned Cooperstown. I think you meant Williamsport, right? Because you're talking about yes, Williamsport. The, my yeah, bad. No problem. Correct. Yeah, I just wanted to just make sure of that uh, again, because every 11 and 12 year old that is on their radar, no matter what part of the country, and they want to go to Williamsport. You know, no doubt. And now we got major league teams going to Williamsport at the same time there now too, as well too, as we've seen that game you know, played over there uh, the last few years. So, yeah, interesting interesting stuff there. All right, man, let's talk about what we saw yesterday. I want to start with you with our boy Dusty Baker's team in Houston against your former team, the Mariners. Uh, the comeback yesterday where Jordan Alvarez goes yard uh, on the second pitch he sees from Robbie Ray, who comes out of the bullpen. Boz, I, I kid you not, I was wa- watching this game. Actually, well, it was going on the same time I was on. We're on the air and we're watching it here in the studio. And then I got in the car and I'm, I'm listening to the Astros broadcast uh, being done um, by Robert Ford and um, and Steve Sparks. And they're calling this game And with Jeremy Pena coming up there in the ninth. I said, "Oh man, Pena really struggles with that slider, man." And you got you know um, Seibold who was in there and he got Altuve. And I I just said, you know, Pena is going to struggle with this. And then he shortened up his swing, and he lined that, uh, that base hit to center. And then I said, oh, my goodness, we got a shot here now because Alvarez is coming up. And sure enough, Scott Service marches out to the mound, and they say that Robbie Ray is up in the bullpen. And I'm going, please bring in Robbie Ray. And, you know, managers are just conditioned. Well, lefty on lefty. And again, service has to know that Alvarez has owned Robbie Ray, that the Astros have owned Robbie Ray, comes in with the ERA against the Astros of 10. And Robbie Ray, as we all know, and you know better than anybody, Boz, he's only been in four games in his entire career as a reliever. (laughs) He's a starter, and he just started on Saturday, and he was going to be their Game 3 starter. And sure enough, he brings in Robbie Ray, and the inevitable happens. And to try to close it on a Tuesday. Alvarez launches deep right field.
1: And
2: this one is gone. And the Astros walk him off in game one. You're not Alvarez.
3: Man, uh, just phenomenal with that. Give me your thoughts about that move and that matchup.
2: Tough to go to Robbie right there. He's not a big breaking ball guy. You know, you gotta look at the numbers with Alvarez versus Lefty, but the career numbers. And now you're in a in a bigger moment on a guy that loves the big stage. It's gonna be tough to come back from them this in mm-hmm. the series. Mm-hmm. Gonna be really really tough and
3: here's the thing what i don't understand i mean seattle had everything going for them this game they jump out to a four nothing lead and then the astros get a couple back it's four two then they extend the lead to seven three then they give up the homer in the eighth and bregman gets a homer it's seven to five but you still have your bullpen intact and everything how you want i mean you get a great performance out of your starter yeah. Then you bring in Munoz, maybe in the eighth, and you know again, whether it's Seabold or, 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 or Munoz as your closer or whatever, and then it just seemed like service got away from what he's doing. And this is what I don't understand, Boz. Why do we see this? Why do we see managers get out of their comfort zone? Why do we see managers say, I'm going to bring in a starter to go ahead and close the show here? Because you don't do it for 162 games during the regular season, but you alter your mindset. And I think that, you know, we've had this discussion before. When you were with Joe Madden, you guys kind of, you know, I don't want to say debated it or went back and forth about, okay, do we bring a starter in to close this in a game six or a game seven? We see Davy Roberts have done it, you know, we, when, when Shearzer was with the Dodgers last year, uh, Kershaw bringing him in to close games. And usually it doesn't work out. Why do managers get to be too cute when they don't, when they get away from what got
2: them there? This is what I don't understand. Think about the guys that you've just named, including the guy that we had in Chicago. Mm -hmm. They came in and they pitched in the biggest moments in the world series. This was premeditated. This was planned. This was mapped out by the front office, the general manager. And this is something that they said, this is why we signed Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray is not Randy Johnson. Robbie Ray is not Clayton Kershaw, okay? He's not. And these guys have, number one, they have velocity, which Robbie has. But the other thing is you have to have a breaking ball in that situation or you leave it to the bullpen to face those guys. And the problem is, is the battles that they've had with Houston. They tried to create something that's never happened and create a matchup late innings that Houston hasn't seen or that Alvarez hasn't seen but the problem is his division, there are no secrets TC right Alvarez was comfortable. I'm surprised I really surprised that he didn't miss or hit the first one the left center out of the park yeah that's what I thought because he did he that, that with a double his, earlier and that's he, right and that's he, his approach on lefties right Is he goes the opposite way. And then the book on Robbie is Robbie likes to throw that sinker down and in, and it stayed middle, and he had a frickin' one iron to the second deck. <laughs>
3: 460 feet. Oh, my goodness. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, you know, when you, when you look at this game, how it unfolded yesterday, and you look where Seattle was being in command, and you saw the emotion with all these guys early on, like, hey, man, we're going to jump on these guys in a best-of-five series. Winning game one is huge like that on the road. And then they come off of that Toronto series where they erase a seven-run deficit, and they come back, and now they give up this you know, four-run deficit and lose in that fashion. Tell me what that's like, Boz, in the postseason to now come back and and I think you made the comment when you started this. You're saying like, man, I don't know how they're going to come back from that. They, they could be done with this quirky scheduling because of television. These guys aren't playing today. They have an extra day off. But I don't know how does this affect this Mariners team here? Because again, like you said, no secrets. 19 games, now 20 games. The Astros won 13 of those 20. They've now won seven of the last eight times. Scott service has said to his team in private and also in the media, Houston has been our house of horrors. How much of that really plays into the mindset with these players in that clubhouse?
2: Well, now they're shaking their head when they were getting on the bus yesterday and in the workout today, you know, here we, here we go again, you know, and the, Here's the one thing. And that's a that real I, thing,
3: right? I mean, that is a real thing. It
2: is a thing. real thing. It is a 100% real thing, and it's there. We Every time we play in interdivision, it didn't matter if it was Milwaukee, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, or Cincinnati, interdivision, I, I swear it always comes down to the last inning. Always comes down to the last inning. Don't look at Houston's probably going to win the series. Seattle's not going to fold. They have been beat up down all year long, lost their center fielder down the stretch, still managed to get in the playoffs, still managed to overcome some bonehead calls, if you will. But here they are. They're only down one game. Any anything can happen. You know, I never thought Verlander was gonna get torched like he did the way he's pitched the entire year. That was unbelievable. Right. And then for them to come back. And drop, a, drop a, hop, a hockey stick on those guys, unbelievable.
3: <laughs> and the thing about it is, you know, Verlander faced him, that was his seventh time. And he did get lit up by him early on, like in April. But the last, you know, four or five starts, he's been lights out. Talk about the familiarity. Of, of a pitcher, even though you got a, a hall of fame, future hall of famer in Justin Verlander, and we're seeing that tonight with Darvish and, and Kershaw and those guys. The familiarity that these teams have seen this pitcher over and over, even though they're, they're nails, does it give the hitters an advantage of, of, of seeing somebody so
2: often? Well, I'm telling you, going into that game. During the course of this year only, I imagine their hitting department put together some numbers on how many times against me Verlander would try to go fastball away. After strike one, how many times did he go breaking ball? With two strikes, how many times did he try to go up and away? They looked like they were ready for it. They looked like they were on his tendencies – And they took tendencies away. That's how they were to jump on pitches. And Justin just, he wasn't stuffing the ball in like he normally does. I think he was being a little bit too aggressive. And Seattle jumped on it and counteracted it with their own aggressiveness in the zone. And that's what you have to do in playoff baseball. I remember when we faced Kluber, he shoved it up, you know what, two times against us. And then we had to face him in game seven. TC, he had no chance. Right. yeah, No chance. Dexter Fowler leading off the game with a homer. I mean, we we knew what he was throwing. We were on his cutter. We had set up the the batting practice machine for cutter for two days getting ready for Kluber because we knew we were going to face him in a game seven because we had the rotation stacked the way we wanted it with our guys with Kyle Hendricks pitching game seven. So the matchup thing is real. The House of Horrors thing is real. Service right now, he can sleep at night because it was an organizational decision. I've been in those meetings with you, Epstein mm. and with Joe Madden, and it's, it's, it's in a group discussion. How are we going to do this? You know, when are we going to go? If we get to the point where we face a big boy, are we going to bring in our big boy? And the answer is yes, you have to do it. If you want to get to the second season, look at all the starting pitchers that have been a part of a World Series championship in game five, six, or seven. The number is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I think baseball you know, has seen that. That's why they're trying to shorten appearances from these guys and to stay away from that proverbial, you know, third look.
3: Right, right. Experience talking right there with my man Chris and obviously referencing the 2016 Cubs World Series victory over the Cleveland Indians at that time. The top two seeds – of these postseason, you know, in the American League, obviously it's the Astros and the Yankees, and the National League it's the Dodgers and the Braves. They had five days off. Three of the four teams, Boz, got off to very slow starts in this. Now the Dodgers, they they scored right away in the first inning, but they are going against Mike Clevenger, with a guy who has an ERA of over nine against uh, the Dodgers. So kind of figured, okay, San Diego was in a bad spot last night. Talk a little bit about having those five days off. Now that's past us now. But how much of an effect is that? Because you don't have that. I mean, you don't even have that many days off during the All-Star break, let alone in the postseason.
2: Well, the thing that's scary is the Dodgers are sitting back there, and they've lined up these lefties against San Diego, which is their nemesis. That's another series, I think. You know, you're going to watch Kershaw tonight. He's going to do what he normally does. And the Dodgers are going to, you know, keep swinging. And I know you, Darvish, is on the mound. But the Dodgers are having this unbelievable statistical season that we haven't seen in a long time. And numbers like that don't lie. And normally when teams have numbers like this, you know, you look at them. And I remember Lou Pinella always saying, you know, you get to that 800 run mark, you're doing something as an offense. Well, <laughs> I think the Dodgers are at 834. Something ridiculous in a plus 300 which has never been done. They're they're stacked, they're loaded, they're sitting there waiting in the wings, San Diego. You know, they they played their tail off to get here again. But I'm going to be I, Do we know who game 3 starter is for the Dodgers? Are they going to throw another lefty?
3: I think it's going to be Anderson. You know what, what I'm thinking, and then the the yeah. and you know you don't know you know what what's going to happen you know with the Padres, which which direction they're going to go.
2: I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised they're throwing those lefties at them. You don't you don't have Burley, you know, coming in there throwing his stuff. So mm-hmm. they got to do something. But isn't it ironic that they they didn't throw the the 18 game winner in game one?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But again, I mean, you know, the way Urias has been, I mean, it's kind of hard to fault him, especially the numbers that he had down the stretch against the Padres. So I I, I can I can see that. But, you know, here's my take on, on the Dodgers and the Yankees, boss, is that I think pitching is going to be their Achilles heel, you know, and with the Dodgers, it's the bullpen. And I don't know I still how much I'm, I'm believing in, like, say, Anderson and Gonsolin, you know, from, from a starting uh, perspective. And we see what the Yankees have done now moving Herman and, and Tyon, you know, to the pen, you know. So and again, we know that the Yankees have had question marks, you know, all season long with their closing situation. Give me a quick take on those two teams and maybe being vulnerable with their pitching.
2: I don't know. I don't. I don't think the Yankees are vulnerable. Okay, To be honest with you, I really don't. I. I think they're getting their gear. Rizzo does what he normally does. I mean, he had a pop up out of there, which is huge. But, you know, just like they said, this guy hits, thirty-one home runs and one hundred two RBIs. Like it's, it's exact his, his job every year. You know, four out of the last five years, he's hit his number. And then you got the other guys around him. You know they're Yankees are going to be tough to beat. Dodgers are going to be tough to beat. Phillies are going to have to slug their way through the Braves. You know they got a they got a tough customer tonight. Twenty wing game winner and right, but Wheeler's shown that he can he can pitch in big games. Remember this guy had a two ERA this year.
3: Right,
2: probably should have won twenty games. Hmm. You know that's the series I look at. Like Philly, Philly could sneak by Atlanta. I mean if Harper gets hot, don't don't forget about Schwarber and then yeah. they got a bunch of no name kids out there, that shortstop who they stuck in their shop, the kid from Vegas. Right. Yeah. He is he has been tremendous. Yeah heck of a player for them. He was a heck tremendous of tremendous a- for him. I mean, he should be getting a little bit more notoriety than he is yep. because you know, when you get a guy like D.D. D- Rigoris out there and you put the kid at short that's
3: saying something. Yep, yeah. no, that's a statement. There's no question, and is he got fast tracked, you know, through the system. But hey, he proved himself. He he earned his spot, and I'm so happy for the kid. Uh, know him and the family, and uh, I know his mom's out there traveling to every game. I think it's so it's so cool, you know, those stories. And and the Phillies are a, a really good story. You know, they made the managerial change. You know, Joe Girardi gets 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 the axe, and then here comes Philly, and they put together a, a great run. And as you know. Better than anybody. It's all about getting hot at the end of the regular season and starting off that postseason on fire in Philly right now. I mean, they are 3-0 and to start the postseason, and they're set up pretty well. Like, you talk about Wheeler going tonight, uh, and then Nola will get game three, and that game will be on his home turf in Philadelphia. I mean, they are set up, you know, really well. I don't know about after that, but you're right. That offense, so they, they put out that that lineup. I mean, when they're on and they're healthy, They're a dangerous team.
2: Well, don't get to that lefty down there, Alvarado, who throws 102. Right, right. Because he's figured something out. Yeah. I know know the Phillies hired a grip doctor, and I don't know what his name is, but that young man's earning a promotion because he's really helped that that young man's career.
3: Right, the grip doctor. I like that. That's good, man. All right, brother. Uh, We appreciate the time, uh, as always. All right, so uh, let's see. You're saying... Dodgers over the Padres in this. That's what you're saying, right? Just finish it out. Who are we seeing in the LCSs? I'm
2: going Dodgers. I'm going. I'm going Phillies. I'm going Yankees, and I'm going to go Houston.
3: Yep. Yeah. All right. As we expect. All right, brother. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks as always. Be good, and we will. Uh, we'll catch you next time.
2: Hey, to your staff. Yes. Great job, guys. There it is. To Your staff. That's great right. Job. That's
3: what I'm saying. That's it. Way to hit the spots, guys. I appreciate you guys are hitting the spots. Keep that confidence. Keep that mojo going. We got you here. We got you. There we go. Thanks, Boz. There it is.
2: <laughs> All right, you guys. Take it easy. There
3: it is. The gift cards are in the mail. How's that? The, the, food, the food gift cards, Boz. Except be careful because Boz will be sending you from the, the buffets there in Wisconsin, the early bird special buffet. You got to dine before 430
2: to get that buffet entry. My- no, no buffets. Sorry, yeah. can't do it. Uh, sits around, it's around too long.
3: Exactly. Good point. <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good one. See you later. See you, baby. Chris Bozio, my man. There it is. How about that? We went an entire interview without him ragging on me and my pitching or saying that he beat me. You notice that? And when I when we were in Sacramento, that got brought up. We got That got brought up. We were talking... About because we had some of our Sacramento Sports Hall of Famers over there, Randy Lurch, who went to Cordova, and so same high school that Boz went to, and Randy was before Randy World Series champion with the 1980 Phillies, uh, just a tremendous left-handed pitcher and one of the best hitting pitchers of all time. That's when pitchers could really hit, and uh, so we were talking uh, about that, and I said, "Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't face Randy because uh, you know," I said. He, not like Chris Bosio, or I beat Bosio. I don't think I'd, I could beat Randy Lurch. So, yeah, they got a couple couple jabs in at Bosio. But no, that's my guy. You know, they're all my guys. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, remind me to reach out to Greg. Like, Greg Vaughn is going to the Packers Jets game this week. There it is. And he still has ties. Can so we get him in on in Monday? Milwaukee. Or get him on on Monday? And have him give I a recap. We should. That's a good, yeah. We should, huh? Recap the Packers game. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll do. All right. That's good. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to remember it because he might be bringing in his own wine because now he has his own wine.
1: Yes, he does. Yeah,
3: as, as we know. And uh, so I got Dusty with the wine. I got, got Greg with the wine. A lot of guys with the wine, man. That's the, the thing to do now. Wine is good. Wine is good. All right. We come back. Rod Smith's going to join us, the cornerback. He's going to be fired up like he always is. We'll talk about what's happening in Carolina. Matt Rule getting fired. Oh, yeah. Don't go anywhere because we're going to get Rod's take on roughing the passer and the coaching blunders that we've seen so far in the NFL. Who needs an enema? Wait,
0: what? They drew
1: first blood. Now's the time.
0: What is that? Is that, uh, is that Rambo?
2: No, I made that up.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> That's Rambo.
2: You
3: want me to help you or not? Yes, yes.
2: All right, come on. Let's go.
1: <laughs> Back to more nonstop sports talk with the doctor, TC Martin.
3: Friday at the Westgate, 2 to 4 p.m., of course, our Friday home. Best bets and a whole lot more coming your way. Come on out and see the show live. Breaking it down the college side, the NFL side at the Westgate of Las Vegas. The world famous Superbook, the largest sports book in the world, our Friday home. Yes. All right, we continue on. We talk a little. NFL football right now with our good friend, the quarterback, the safety, the DB back in the day, and of course, uh, does a fantastic job uh, wherever he is on, media-wise, the one and only Rod Smith. What's going on, Hot Rod? How are you, man? Good to talk to you. Likewise, man. Appreciate you joining us. I mean, we had to have you back, man, after you were so fired up, you know, when we we last had you on and everything. I said, it's time to get Rod on, especially considering, you know, the breaking news we had the last couple days there uh in carolina regarding matt rule uh losing his job so i said rod's got a got a fiery take on this i'm sure he does
0: well you know um you know it's funny um it's easy to lose perspective when when um uh we're considering all the variables here and, and the fact of the matter is that if a guy has been Um, a defensive backs coach, for example, in the NFL for five years. And then that person gets promoted, and they're a defensive coordinator, assistant head coach for five years. And then that same person becomes a head coach in the National Football League. Their average tender is 4.2 years. Most of those guys fail, and that's with a decade of high-level NFL experience, five years as a coordinator which leads you to believe that it's going to be incredibly difficult for unless, unless even if somebody is a phenomenal college coach and there, and I mean literally national championship level uh, college football coach, think about the odds that they're going to be successful at the NFL level, especially transitioning straight to head coach. I mean, you're passing a decade worth of experience that a lot of highly qualified guys have. And you're trying, I mean, so Every time an NFL team reaches down to college to grab a guy, it always makes me nervous because it's just, it's just it's taking the very best high school football player in the country and throwing him on the Raiders. Hmm. I and mean, listen, it's not going to work out. The kid's going to end up being good with enough time, but there's no 19-year-old on the planet Earth that's going you know, to stand in there in the pocket and, and under that kind of pressure at the National Football League level. They're just not. That's the same way I feel about college coaches whoever it is heading to the pros i mean ask lou holtz and all these guys that had tremendous success at the college level win championships run to the pros and they run their tail right back mm-hmm. i mean that's 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 a, that's a completely different animal at the nfl level and i don't think matt rules a bad coach i hope he goes to nebraska somewhere and dominates uh, and then hopefully gets another shot and he'll be more ready this next time but like that's a you know that's taking a guy that's that's you know, out of high school and throwing them in the NBA. You know what I mean? Everybody, unless you, I mean, there might be a LeBron James once in a while, All right. Every 20 years, you find a LeBron James. Other than that, everybody else is probably going to fail. And that's what happened with Matt Rule, in my opinion.
3: And one of college football's all-time, uh, probably most successful, you know, coach, maybe outside of Bear Bryant, Nick Saban. I mean, he couldn't get it done in the NFL. I mean, that's a prime example. And there are a lot of guys like that. And everything you're saying, Rod, is so true. But you know what? It seems like it's just common sense. It's common logic that you know you think that. And and, and this is why I don't understand when Carolina made that hire, you know, going back 3 years ago. Why would they even make that hire because there isn't a prototypical, you know, format here where we've seen success from a college coach being a successful NFL head coach. It just doesn't work. Why would Carolina make this move? In the beginning, I'm going to talk about the money here in a minute. But just why would they even do this
0: to start with? You know, it's um you know, it, it's 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 hard to put yourself in a, in a uh, in David Tipper's mind. I mean, he's such a a brilliant man, and has had obviously tremendous success. In every organization that he's been a part of, has been successful. So, I mean, I you know, far be it for Ross Smith to say there and throw any shade at at the, at the ownership or his decision making um, or how he makes determines his decisions. I will say that, um, you know, it's funny. I, 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 run a small business and, and you know, when you're, when you're at the helm, you know, you, you want your people in those spots, you know what I mean? And, and even if somebody, um, it had success, I mean, it's kind of funny to say that because I, I actually like, I love good salespeople. If you're a good salesperson, you can work for me. I got you. Any, any great salespeople out there, you call me after the show, <laughs> there <you> but, go. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but, uh, but you, but you do want the people that you have experience with, um, and and I think he wanted to start from scratch, start fresh, yeah, get away from Rivera, who a great coach, um, and, uh, and and then start a new. And then, to be honest, uh, Matt Rule is a very analytics-driven coach. He makes a lot of decisions based on the mathematics. And that's at the core how Tepper made his money was developing systems to evaluate um uh, investment instruments um to success he, he wasn't he wasn't picking stocks he was developing the machine to to evaluate stocks all right so so he has a coach that also has this highly analytic bent to him makes decisions in that way i mean that's a that's a kind of a code that they a language that they shared um and I think that's what drew him to, to Matt Rule. Obviously, young guy, success, younger know, coaches are having success in the pros. But but that but that reliance on math to help them make decisions is is key in both of their success. Mm-hmm.
3: Matt Rule fired after the the loss to San Francisco on Sunday. One in four of the Panthers. He was 11 and 27 in his third year there. Leaves though Rod with 40 million dollars left on a seven year contract. And a guaranteed $62 million. So Matt Rule is walking out of there just, you know, sure, he's embarrassed. He knows he's probably not going to get back to the NFL. But he's walking out a very wealthy man. And again, you know, I talk about Making this decision with a guy coming out of Baylor. Yeah, he's one of the hot coaches at the time, but not, we're not talking about winning a national championship. We're not talking about a guy going in the playoffs. No, we're talking about a guy that was just kind of like, you know, a hot topic thing. And we see that. Let's go with the hot uh, offensive coordinator, the, the hot defensive coordinator. And usually it doesn't work. But the money. Why would he sign up this guy with no proven NFL experience as a head coach to a seven-year deal? And I'm not asking you to second-guess. I'm just trying to, to get in the mindset here. And you did a great job because nobody knew. I didn't know what his background was. And I didn't know that, that Matt Rule you know, and him spoke the same language and they came from that. So that makes yeah. total sense. I get that. And I appreciate you sharing that. But, man, to say $62 million guaranteed seven-year deal, that's insane. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of money to you and I, but, you know but, I mean? but, for, but I'm talking about
0: with the guy's resume. That guy doesn't have a resume to back that up. I, I, I absolutely understand. I, I think it was a, um, I mean, listen, and this is an owner that, that makes, that makes, that makes bets for a living. You know what I mean? mean, Literally literally evaluating risk and payoffs is what he's done at at the highest level. And I mean like worldwide top 50 guys on the planet Earth. That's what he does. He evaluates and, and places bets on different outcomes. And he placed a bet on this one and it went bad. He normally bets correctly. All right? That's why he's got like you know, $5 billion in the bank. All right? So, like, I mean, he's, he's normally right. He's not always right. And in this case, uh, he was wrong. Man. And you got to consider also, I mean, $40 million is a rounding error for this guy. I mean, it is. It's a lot of money to us. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of money, period. Don't get me wrong. But, like, listen, you know, for a guy with $5 billion in the bank, like, you know, $40 million over seven years is, you know, is, you know, is, 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 is what he pays in gas on his plane. You know what I mean? I mean, like, seriously. I mean, like, it's 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 a big deal to us. It's not a big deal to that guy. I mean, we've got to have some perspective. I mean, to him, $20 million is like, oh, I lost $20 million yesterday. Oh, okay, no big deal. Like, you know, I'll get it back to my I money. Mean, that's, you know, that's interest he gets on a daily basis. So, like, you know, it, it, you know, it, it good for Matt Rule. Matt Rule is going to be able to take care of his family, should he be able to establish intergenerational wealth. Like, good for him. He came to Charlotte. You know, great intentions. You know, I'm sure he worked his tail off. Um, I never did anything um, from the players that they didn't like him personally, that he wasn't fair, They thought he was a good guy, that he was honest, high integrity. Like, a lot of good things said about Matt Rule from guys I spoke to who were in the locker room, right? right? Everybody everybody liked him and, and respected him. You know what I mean? I don't mean he was a pushover, but but people thought that he treated people fairly and he was a high-integrity guy. He did what he said he was going to do. So, um, you know, props to Matt Rule. Um, again, you know, taking the guy out of college – you know, I mean, listen. You saw statement too. That's a great example. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just a completely different game. Um, you know, you know. The, the um, I wish I could show you if I had a, a copy of Coach Holtz's schedule. Give me a copy of his schedule um, during the season and compare that to like Bill Parcells' schedule. Give me a copy of his schedule in the pros, and I'd have to dig and find that thing. But you want to talk about asymmetrical. They're not it's not even the same. You you wouldn't even think they were the same job. Yeah, if if you didn't know the right. if you didn't know the title and I showed you what they do in a day in the twenty four hour period, what Coach Holza did at Notre Dame winning national championships and what Bill Parcells is, you know, going eight and eight in the AFC in, in ninety three, you wouldn't even believe that they were the same job. That's how that's how far apart what they do in a day is from College to the Pros. So you know, it's, you know, he, he thought that it would transfer to the pros because he spoke the same language, you know, and and it just did not you know, and, you know, he took a chance and he bet on him and, you know, it, it didn't work.
3: Rod Smith uh, joins us. Where does Carolina go from here with their next hire?
0: Sean Payton. Hey, did I say that? Did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did. I don't know if you're joking or I, not. I... <laughs> I, I I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, if I have permission. If I, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to the Saints about this at all. But I don't know what kind of. Okay, That's I, so, okay. so forgive. I don't want to. I don't want You know, forgive me. But, uh, but, um, you know, for what it's worth, he uh, he seems like a, like he has potential around here, and um, uh, a guy with a little more edge um, is probably um, something that that Tepper would be interested in. Um, rule was more of a nicer guy, you know, Peyton's, you know, more in that Belichick Parcells mold, obviously. And, um, uh, and the guy can flat coach, you know, and, uh, you know, the whole, um, you know, deal they had, I can't remember what, what was it, 2010 or was it was, it was a it 2010 or nine, whenever it came out, that whole bounty gate thing yeah. went over, yep. like, right. like, uh, yep. you know, that's a, that's a stain, but you know. You know, you, you know, you make a mistake and, you know, nothing else happens. So, you know, we kind of, you know, we let it go. It's it's when you keep repeating the same mistakes and we got a problem, we'll have a problem with the guy. But everybody makes mistakes, gets a little zealous about trying to win football games. I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, if they could get him, uh, he would be uh, he would be an ideal candidate.
3: But it seems like definitely they're going to go the NFL route uh, this point on. It's going to be maybe a former NFL coach or maybe they go with every, the way everyone else is going with with the coordinator again, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you would we would hope so. Yeah, you know, I, I would be shocked if he doesn't go um with somebody with, with years of pro experience with the with the next pick. I think I right. think uh yeah, that he wouldn't he wouldn't go back there. I, I just I would be I would be shocked.
3: Yeah, doesn't make sense. like I guess if you feel like you got burned once. You're not you're not gonna he's not gonna be called Lincoln Riley uh, or Lane Kiffin anytime soon.
0: <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not, absolutely not. And, and again, we talked about this before, but I still think uh, um, Baker's getting a bad rap, and uh, you know it, it appears that they're probably going to have a very very high draft pick next year, but. Um, um, you know it's funny. It, 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 no, not everybody seems to see this, but um, I still think Baker's got some good years in him, and uh, and he moves well, and he can make all the throws. Uh, I just think with the with the um, inefficiency at in offensive line right now, he is under so much pressure that it, it wouldn't matter who the quarterback is. It, they're going to they're gonna have a difficult time looking good when you know when when they've got defensive lineman in their face and. You know, and most people don't understand, too. Like, you know, have one of those 330-pound sweaty hogs fall on your back one time. Even if you throw the ball, it's completed for a first down. Yay, crowd's cheering. But one of those big guys falls on top of you. It ruins your months. I mean, listen, a 300-pound man falling on your back is about the worst experience I've had in my life. It's the the worst part of being a first football player It's getting in there with those bigs and having them fall on you. It's the worst. It's worse than getting hit. The, the fall is so. Baker is getting getting hit after the throw, like half the time he drops back. No human being on the planet Earth can survive that and mentally stay in the game. Not through interceptions. The guy's just trying to make it back to his damn hotel room. Right. Are you kidding me? Like so. Um, you know, when when your quarterback's thinking more about survival than completions, it's a problem, right. and that's where the Panthers are right now. Mm-hmm.
3: Rod, let's talk a little bit about the. Um, it seems like coaching has always been a question here. I mean, it's more and more uh, the last couple of years, and we're seeing bonehead play calling. We're seeing game mismanagement. And I don't know if it starts with the coaching hires, uh, you know, just inexperienced like what we're talking about, or why. I just want to know why we are seeing more of this. Again, the other night we saw uh, Josh McDaniel, you know, go for, go for two. When all he has to do is kick the extra point and tie the game at 30 30. And of course, they go for two and miss. Final score 30 29. We saw Andy Reid, you know, a possession before that. You know, they're up by seven and he goes for two to try to get to nine. Well, I get that to his. Well, I, I don't get it, but it just tells me he has no confidence in his kicker because he's got his third string kicker, even though he kicked a 59 yarder before halftime. Why are we seeing, especially these young coaches that are just trying to you know really outsmart themselves here but make try try to make a case or don't make a case i i can't i can't fathom what what Josh McDaniel did when you are one and three coming into that game divisional opponent on the road and you're not trying to extend the game
0: yeah it's it's crazy and and what what i believe you're seeing is the um you know the the influence of analytics in football, and um um you know I mean i I could tell you a million about this thing but like but but the game is becoming um more more analytical, more based on numbers, more based on projections um but literally more based on raw numbers and I'll give you an example, something like and I can't remember with high school i mean with the college game I was watching, but somebody they went for it on fourth and two late in the game, instead of kicking a field goal from, like, a 35-yard line. And and, and everybody was, was mad. And But here's what happened is the chance of making it on fourth and two is probably – I mean, on the in the plus territory, it's probably, like, let's say 60%, maybe even 70% that you get it. I mean, it's 60%, okay? The chance that that field goal kicker makes that field goal, you know, is, like, 60%. So at 60% making a field goal – technically gives you like two points versus if you get the first down, if you get that first down down there, the chance of you scoring a touchdown inside the red zone, first and 10 is like, you know, is like 50%. So we, all that to say is when you put all the math together, the actual, the probability you may find out the field goal is worth. The field goal attempt is worth 2.2 points. And going forward on fourth and two is actually worth 3.2 points. Based on the averages of what have of being able to get the first down and what happens with your ability to score a touchdown, so the math the math says, hey, you actually you actually fare better by going for it on fourth and two rather than kicking the field goal.
3: But okay? a two point conversion rod is twenty percent. A two point conversion success rate is at twenty percent. It's not that that's not analytics. I mean, that's just that's just a
0: stupidity. I mean, we've seen. Listen, you you you're 100% i don't mean me be rude i mean cut you you're, you're 100% yes you're you're also seeing a new trend in coaching which is ultra aggressive um um trying to score as many points as possible as fast as possible like 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 trying to maximize every scoring opportunity um even if it risks not scoring at all. Like, there's a, there's a trend of being more aggressive, and I also think it has to do with coaches keeping the job. It's also a part of, like, showing your owner that I'm doing every little thing I possibly can to try to win this football game, and and you can almost blame your players if it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a... It's also kind of a safety mechanism for the coaches. It gives them some like, head, hey, listen, you know, we've lost that game, but hey, listen, I did everything I could. I, 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 I was aggressive as I possibly could. You know what I mean? And um, the days of allowing your defense to win football games um, and probably half the league right now are out the window.
3: All right, real quick, how do you feel about roughing the passer right now?
0: <laughs> oh, jeez, Yeah, geez. You, you know, I know we only uh,
3: got two minutes, Rod, so go ahead and sum
0: it up. Uh, but I had, to hit, oh my God, I had to get your so perspective on this. Go. Yeah, yeah it's um you know do you got your pillow rod
3: do you need your pillow uh, to lay down was, right now you know it, it? do you need a pillow right. you know because it seems like quarterbacks need a pillow right now
0: it's mean it's 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 it hurts my soul i mean obviously like you know i, I want i want the game to be physically expensive not don't- i don't want people to get injured but I, I don't, but I like everybody to be a little hurt. I don't mind a little hurt. I don't want injured. I don't want injured. But I don't mind a little pain, a little hurt. Like that, that's, that's the cost of the game. You know? And they're, they're taking a lot of that out to protect the players. Um, they're taking a lot of it out to try to make the game more fun for the fans, more, more passes, more big plays. More than you know than running the ball, so they're you know they're shifting the game to make it safer. They're shifting the game to make it better for television. And in during that process, you got to protect the quarterback. It's part of that thing, and it's getting it's getting pretty crazy. You common really sense, that that's say.
3: all we want. Common sense, you know. That's <laughs> all we need. Common sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, read the situation, it's, 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 right? Read the situation. It's, 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 don't go by what, what happened with Tua or don't go by what happened with the Brady or whatever. It's just like, okay, read the situation in front of you. I mean, I don't know. It's crazy.
0: In, in 96 out here in Carolina Panther Stadium, I hit Troy Aikman on a dead run on like the third play of the game on a blitz. I hit that guy as hard as I could hit anybody in the back. And listen, to his credit – Troy Aikman bounced up and told me a nice head and walked right back to the huddle like nothing happened. It was amazing. I thought this guy's made out of steel. Like, Troy Aikman is on my first-team all-man team. That guy is a stud. I don't care about what he says about his personal life or whatever. Listen, Troy Aikman is the quarterback for me. He is, a, he is a stud. However, if I had somebody like if you had somebody like that now again, you wouldn't be playing for six weeks. I mean, that's how far the game's changed. I mean, the ball was, the ball was just leaving his hand. I knew it. It wasn't late, but I knew it was like on the borderline. And I ran, I ran right through him. I I saw him in half, and like, and the guy popped right off. So and nice hit. walked back to the huddle. Like, like, like nothing happened. I couldn't <laughs> hit him any harder. It's amazing. He was stunned.
3: Oh, good stuff, man. That's it. Remember those days, man, When football was football. You know, <laughs> defensive right. players that's that's right. could could hit quarterbacks and no repercussion. All right. That's, right. But That's now, right. I know what you're talking about. That was a legal hit, too. You stuck him hard, but it was totally legal. Nothing wrong with that. That's right. That's all right, right, brother. We appreciate the time as always, man. Well, we'll get back to you. We'll talk some more NFL, some more college, man. Uh, love the inside as always, brother. And uh, and go Irish. That's all I gotta go got to say. Go Irish. It, right? Go Irish.
0: Good talking to you, brother. Call me anytime.
3: You got it, brother. There he is. Rod Smith. Right. You go. Former DB, Carolina Panthers, Minnesota Vikings back in the day and the pride of Notre Dame, just like our guy Steve Berline, huh? All right. want to thank Chris Bozio for joining us, talking a little MLB postseason. Great stuff there. Trevor Maddich and Rod Smith, our NFL side, the college side as well too, all part of the team here at the T.C. Martin Show. Loving it. Tomorrow, we'll get back to some handicapping, big-time Thursday show. Bob Nightingale is going to join us too. Our esteemed writer from the USA Today, he is covering the Dodgers and the Padres. We'll get Bob's. Take on not only that series, huge game tonight with Darvish and Kershaw going at it. Major League Baseball. Mm, Got to love the postseason divisional series happening. Two games in the National League tonight, American League at it tomorrow. All right, for Chuck, T.C. Martin saying so long. If you missed any part of the show, go to the website. Check it all out. It is all there for you at your fingertips. Click on the interviews. Our interview Big Link, Lincoln Kennedy's on the homepage. The current interview page, past interview page. Recap from the Raiders on Monday night and a whole lot more. We're back at it again tomorrow right here at 2. Go check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. Have a good day.